Hello and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the Emerging Markets Strategy Team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Markets Strategy Team. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. So coming to markets, the acute banking stresses that we saw in March have largely passed now, leading to some renewed focus on the US rates path. And I think for us in emerging markets, we are looking that our asset class remains, you know, at the mercy between those two, two risks of, of growth and, and rates. In the near term, what we're seeing is actually still solid growth and high inflation. And that's obviously bringing the risk that US rates will need to rise further. And from here, that may be uh, not smooth sailing. And that's why we're a bit more defensive still in EM fixed income. But we also had a recent conference at the time of the IMF World Bank spring meetings uh, in Washington. And that gives quite a good opportunity for us to take a step back and assess some of the themes that we and investors are focused on that will drive our markets in the period ahead. And those are going to be uh, where we're going to focus our discussion today. So starting, Saad, with EM currencies, where Actually, there's quite a bit of interest and focus from investors, particularly on the issue of their resiliency. And that's actually leaving the consensus relatively positive on EM currencies here. Why, why is that? So that's right. Uh, when we took a survey of the audience at our conference last week, uh, surprisingly, EM local markets were among the top picks. Now, that's something we don't see often at least in the last few years. And I think, you know, one of the caveats, of course, here is that there's all, sometimes a recency bias to these types of surveys. So, you know, those assets that have performed well in the weeks leading up to these uh, types of conferences end up being those that investors like and extrapolate the returns of the recent past. But that said, I think there are some fundamental things going on here as well. Now, the asset price performance, as you mentioned, Johnny, has been pretty strong. EM currencies not only fully retraced the sell-off that took place in March. In fact, it was quite a muted sell-off to begin with. And now they're sitting close to the highs of the year in, in return terms. But there was a general sense, even preceding uh, the events of March and going back to late last year, early this year, that the dollar on a long-term basis is looking overvalued. And that's something that should help support EM currencies. Um, also, the last time uh, we uh, were, were having this conversation on this, on, on this podcast, we did discuss the fact that if you look at past episodes of EM currency crises or when EM currencies tend to have the big sell-offs uh, towards the end of the cycle, they're preceded by multiple years of, of dollar depreciation. And this cycle has been very different because you've had dollar appreciation in the run-up uh, towards the end of the cycle. Um, so all of this does validate our view that the outperformance of EM currencies uh, suggests that there's a much more subdued left tail of the dollar smile. That is, for every kind of unit of credit risk or stress that there is, the sensitivity of EM currencies is lower now than it was in the past. And I think a big reason for that is structurally 
the positioning is really very light. Investors have been deleveraging from EM local markets and from EM currencies in recent years. And valuations are also, generally speaking, neutral to cheap. So we also talked earlier in the year about the role that China's growth has been having on EM currencies and that the exposure of EM currencies to China by export had been a driver. Is that still the case? Back in January, we highlighted that the China reopening theme was certainly very significant uh, for EM fixed income. And uh, the analysis we did back then suggested that you know, for currencies and other fixed income assets, you know, the exposure to China was a very significant explanatory variable for, for, for performance back then. So between November and February, probably the strongest factor to explain relative asset price performance was the exposure to China, however you define it. You know, trade exposure, for example, is the, is the variable that we were looking at back then. But more recently, however, that's no longer been uh, a driver for EM asset prices. That's something we can just observe casually. But if you do a bit more formal analysis uh, as well, you know, if you think about the currencies uh, that have seen uh, the largest appreciation, uh, you know, more recently, whether it's Colombian peso or Mexican peso in centuries in Europe, for example, they generally have low exposure to China uh, relative to others. So, no, it's no longer really uh, a major driver right now. So if not China growth, what is driving EMFX performance? I think what's happening is that in kind of generic terms, we are transitioning from being driven by kind of a growth factor to a carry factor for EM currencies. So if you look at the changes in short end rates, you proxy it by two-year rate changes, that actually explains quite well the the relative performance of EMFX, uh, basically since the middle of March. I mean, there's a few outliers to that. You know, you've had big moves in BRL or the shekel, for example, and they have political and other policy idiosyncratic uh, drivers. But generally speaking, aside from those outliers, you have a pretty good relationship. Um, and if you now look at this on a time series basis to see uh, you know, the different factors is a terms of trade factor versus interest rate uh, differentials to explain EMFX performance, you can find that the terms of trade factors, so terms of trade, you know, really what we mean by that is effectively what's happening to commodities prices and commodities prices we know are a big factor of kind of global, of a big driver of kind of driven by global growth and by this China reopening story. Uh, versus interest rate differential. So if you look at that kind of terms of trade V carry dynamics, uh, over the past six months or so, terms of trade has been declining as an explanatory variable for EM currency performance, and carry has been increasing as a driver. Now, the natural question then is, on a forward-looking basis, is this something that's likely to continue? I think in a sense that unless we're going to get some major surprises or shocks to global growth in the near future, shocks that are big enough to really drive commodities prices uh, in, a, in a big way in, a, in either direction, we're likely to see uh, carry being a dominant driver. And I think it intuitively also makes sense that if we're concerned about 
higher U.S. rates now, as you mentioned in your opening intro, um, then those countries that have got a high real and nominal rates buffer against uh, U.S. rates are going to be ones that uh, you, one would expect to outperform. So uh, another area of focus was actually on the shape of interest rate curves themselves. And that's really a question about the pricing of the path of monetary policy, both for the US and within emerging markets. Uh, obviously, the US path is going to be very important to us. But focusing on emerging markets, how have EM rates curves been pricing recently? And what are they implying for uh, policy rates? Local rates in EM have you know, followed the move in treasuries, as one would expect. Um, they rallied at the at the short end following the banking stresses we had in in March, but overall they did underperform U.S. rates. Um, you know, during the, the midst of of the stress, and that's something we'd expect. You had U.S. rates rallying. You had a safe haven bid there, and um, uh, the spread between EM and U.S. rates widened uh, at that point. But following all of that, we're still in a situation where EM curves are still pretty inverted, especially at the front ends and the pricing in uh, rate cuts. I think in many ways, if you, if you look at the countries in EMEA and in Latin America, generally speaking, they've got a pretty high buffer, in nominal terms at least, uh, against, uh, against the, the U.S. policy rate. Uh, they also have, in many cases, a pretty high real rates buffer as well. And given where we are in the cycle for a lot of these countries, I think they're probably uh, a lot less dependent um, on Fed pricing than they might have been uh, in the past when the gap and the buffer that the interest rate buffer they had vis-a-vis -vis the U.S. Uh, was much lower. And at our conference as well, uh, a lot of the EM policymakers, especially in LATAM and CEMEA, less so in Asia, but in those countries that have done a lot of rate hikes already, they were distancing themselves from Fed policy, and Fed policy is is not a major driver uh, for for those markets right now. So I think even if you do see a bit of a pricing out of Fed cuts, I don't think it's going to materially impact the high yielders in CEMEA and in LATAM. But some of the Asian markets, the lower yielders that have a lower spread to U.S. might be a bit more sensitive to that. So what do you think about current rate pricing, given where we're standing at the moment? So currently, I think the pricing looks pretty full, meaning that for the rate cuts that are priced in to be delivered, uh, you really do need to see pretty swift progress continuing on disinflation. And to me, it seems like, generally speaking, where... It's hard to price in more cuts uh, than we're pricing in right now. Uh, if you look at it on an ex-ante real interest rate basis, on average, we have lower real rates priced for the end of 2023 now than we did at the start of the year. Um, so I think the risks are skewed in the near term, that there could be some surprises uh, on, on the hawkish side, if anything, at our conference uh, again last week central banks were pushing back against the notion of very near-term front-loaded rate cuts. Um, so even though you know, we've been talking on a more structural basis, duration looks attractive because there is a trend of disinflation ahead of us. I think one has to be, differentiate between what's happening at the very short end of yield curves and at the belly and long end of yield curves. 
And a lot of our focus right now is at the short end about the specific path and the timing for monetary policy, which to me looks um, you know, difficult to, um, to exceed in terms of the cuts that are priced in right now. But that, that brings me, Johnny, to um, you know, the flip side of your question to me about the bullish consensus on EM local markets. And the flip side is that investors, the enthusiasm towards EM credit was much less positive. Um, you know, what is behind that in your view? So some of that similar to the way you suggested uh, about EM currencies is likely to be a reflection of past performance. So local markets are up just over 5% in dollar terms this year. EM sovereign credit is up 1.4%, corporates just over 2%. So there is some of that which generally gets projected forward. But there's also sentiment that's reflecting some of the more medium-term concerns about a number of countries uh, and how many countries are going to require debt restructuring and the extent of the haircuts that are going to be required in those. And you can see that if you look at splitting the asset class up, spreads on the investment-grade sovereign portion have recovered much of their sell-off since that they had over March. Those in distress, so if you look at the triple C or single B bucket, they've basically not recovered at all. And so that's meant EM credit has lagged, actually, the retracement in other asset classes. You know, we all sold off together. We haven't all rallied back together. Um, but that's really due to that part of the asset class. And if you look on a country basis, what you will see pretty simply is that countries where bond prices are below 80 are mostly lower over the last two months. And almost all of those with bond prices above 80 have actually risen a bit. So you're basically being dragged by that portion of the asset class, which is already under some dis distress. Uh, and that's really impacted the overall headline levels and probably the sentiment. How much of that, in your view, is linked to the banking sector stress we saw in the US and Europe? Are people really expecting spillovers? Because the link is, at least to me, not that obvious. Yeah, so some of it is a bit of unlucky timing. Uh, we've had idiosyncratic developments in num a number of the, the sort of in-focus distress countries, uh, which have not been that positive, and that's really got nothing to do with developed market banking sector. There is, I think, a channel that we should think about where, which is not direct, but it's indirect, and it goes along the lines that um, we had seen, you know, since last October, a reasonable rally back in some of the quasi-distressed, i.e. not quite distressed countries in EM. And really that ran along the lines that if markets are somewhat benign and rallying rates are going lower and spreads are going lower this could allow those countries to muddle on through and they might be able to refinance if markets are very open to them and so avoid those harsher debt workouts and i think some of the stress that we saw in the banking sector was maybe a, a reminder that this is you know a latest cycle environment and that we might not see that very, very positive scenario, which will allow uh, a lot of refinancing there. And I think that has caused some readjustment of expectations. 
I would say taking a, you know, a wider view to finish on this, quite a bit of the discussion and at our conference also remains the extent of the medium longer term issue about the debt burdens of of poor em countries and whether we have the the right infrastructure to support a a set of debt restructurings involving many countries with many uh, creditors to them these have been very slow processes so far um and there's certainly a lot of discussion around that and maybe there's just some reminder as well um, of that as, as we're going through. And that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks to you, Saad, for joining today. And thank you all for listening. And we hope you have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 20th of April, 2023.